Some of you may be familiar with, probably many of you are familiar with, the Christian writer C.S. Lewis. Fascinating life. And watching his progression over the course of his life, from a really smart guy who could say a lot about the faith, to someone who kind of found himself caught up in the jaws of life and experienced some really difficult things and how his mind and heart sort of evolved. The same truth he talked about, but he talked about it in a much more visceral and, I would say, real way. One point in his life, someone very dear to him died, and he wrote a book about it called A Grief Observed. And I've never forgotten the opening line of that book. It served me so well over the 20 years of my priestly ministry. And the line is this, no one ever told me that grief feels so much like fear. No one ever told me that grief feels so much like fear. And if you think about times when you've really felt afraid and times when you've really grieved a loss, maybe that resonates with you as well. He says there is that visceral reaction. Your stomach can get in a knot, you get confused, your throat tightens up, you can't find the words to say, you just want to withdraw to a safe place. Grief often feels like fear. I'm mentioning this because what we see in the gospel today, and if you looked in Matthew or Mark's version, as you get near the end, just before Jesus goes into Jerusalem for the last time, because we ain't going to read that part until Passion Week. At this time in the gospel, you get these dramatic readings about everything falling apart, wars, insurrections, parents turning in their children, and vice versa. And I'd like to suggest that, yes, there's terror in the face of those kinds of readings, but in their over-the-top hyperbole, if you really feel fear or concern about what Jesus is describing, if you really care, if when Jesus talked that way, and maybe they could recognize that society was not going to totally fall apart to the degree Jesus is talking about, but they certainly, by that point in their lives, were seeing lots of division, lots of dissension. They weren't idiots. They could see that Jesus' life and probably their own were pretty fragile at this moment. If that stirred up anything in them, I think it's what gets stirred up in us whenever we're saddened by division because there is a grieving involved in that process. The difficulty of division is the difficulty of grief. And again, I'm talking about here a division that we really care about. If we're caught up in it ourselves and we're just mad as heck at the other side and we can't wait to let them have it, then yeah, there's not a lot of grieving going on there. But if it's a division that really does make us worry, if it's a division that makes us fearful, because something that we care about, someone whom we care about, is separated, or we're afraid they're in the process of separating. If groups are separating, I feel a lot of grief over things that are happening in the church today. I'm ultimately hopeful, but still something is separating that shouldn't be. And maybe some of us here in our families, in our lives, in our friendships and relationships, Maybe we know a little bit the grief of separation. Famously, Dr. Kubler-Ross gave us those five stages of grieving. First, we deny that anything's happening. 
then isn't it interesting? We get angry. Anger is rarely a primary emotion. It usually grows out of some foundation. And it's been my experience that more often than not, anger grows out of fear. How do I deal with fear? Well, if I don't run away, I often get angry. And after the fear comes bargaining, right? There must be some way we can work this out. And after the bargaining, when we see that isn't going anywhere, depression can set in. And then ultimately, and maybe it's after several weeks, maybe it's after several years, maybe we never quite get to that point, which he calls acceptance. And it's not acceptance in the sense of, I don't care anymore, but it's an acceptance that says, well, this is the way it is. I've tried bargaining. I've tried getting my anger up. I've tried denying that it's real. At the end of the day, I just have to accept this is the way it is. And over the years, people have quibbled with those five stages and they've added some or they've tweaked them. But by and large, if you think about your own experience of grief, they ring true, at least many of them do. And that's all well and good in our humanity. But I'd like to suggest for us as Christians, in the Christian spiritual life, as the ones hearing that gospel the way that the first audience couldn't have heard it, Right? We're hearing it in a world with a resurrected Jesus. We're hearing it as people who've been graced with baptism and the sacraments. For us, there's another stage. For us, there's a stage that isn't there in the five. Because I'd like to suggest that after acceptance, if we're able to stick with it, if we're able to stay there in the midst of it and not run away or not shut down, it's what I would call reception if we can stay there, because as Christians, we don't stay there alone. If we can stay there with God, and by with God, I mean with the love of God. It looks like something. It's tangible. Then sometimes in that state, we can be more receptive than we've ever been before. More receptive than when we were denying that division could ever come. More receptive than when our fists were clenched in anger. I'm not going to let this happen. More receptive than when we were desperately bargaining. Isn't there some way we can work this out? More receptive certainly than when we were shut down in depression or despair. And more receptive than we simply sit back and say, yeah, okay, whatever. In those moments, our hearts are often the most open because they're the most vulnerable. And yes, they can shut us down, but if we're willing to stay there, they can open us up. And then it's not simply reception in the sense of our receiving the love of God. That's often when we let ourselves be received by God. Because neither Jesus, nor the Father, nor the Holy Spirit is going to come out and grab us by the collar and drag us into heaven. It's that sense of letting ourselves be taken. And it's interesting that as we're grieving a division that we struggle to heal, that we let ourselves be taken. We let ourselves be received by someone who sees beyond the division. I wish, and you know, for the umpteenth time, you're going to hear me grouse about, why did the church pick this reading and not set it up differently? The church doesn't need my help, but I never fail to give it. If you looked at the verse just before where the gospel is today, I mean just before, it's that powerful scene because they're all at the temple and there's the the widow, right? She only has one coin to give and she 
puts it in the treasury. That's right there at the temple. And Jesus says she's given more than everybody else. Why? Because from her poverty, she has given her very livelihood. What she's given, she gives out of her poverty. And yet she's there. And in a sense, that's what it looks like. She's giving from her poverty. She knows that once she gives this thing, she's got nothing left to give. That's letting herself be taken by whatever it is God has in store for her. But she's also giving in a way she hadn't given before. And right on the heels of that, we're told that all these people are looking at the splendor of the temple. Look at these jewels. Look at the amazing walls of the temple. Isn't this glorious? They're afraid. They're afraid when Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another. If we can do a little biblical scholarship here, this was likely written after the temple had actually been flattened by the Romans. The fear, the terror, if I were divided from this, and for them the temple was literally the place where God meets earth. That wasn't just a pretty building, though it was that. And that fear of being separated, of being divided. How do you avoid that fear if you can somehow disengage yourself from being so attached to it? If you can become indifferent to that thing that your heart and your mind says, hold on to this. No matter what, hold on to it because you'll be nothing if you let that be separated from you. And just before Jesus talked trash about the temple, he praised the woman who could give from her poverty, seemingly to support the temple. So just an invitation, as a little spiritual exercise for us. We're going into literally the last weeks of ordinary time. To simply say, where is the division in my life right now? And yes, we can talk about a divided country and we can talk about a divided church, but we are part of the country, we are part of the church, so bring it close to home. If you didn't lose any sleep last night over the election a couple of days ago, then don't kid yourself and say, oh, that's the division that's tearing me apart. Where's the division in our own heart? Where is it in our families? As we gear up for the holidays, a lot of times the ghosts of Christmas past have a way of coming forward, divisions in families. And then just ask yourself, what would it mean? What would it mean to rest there? I can't prevent it magically. I know what it feels like to be angry about that situation, all those stages. Because the stages of separation are really the stages of grieving, I think in the Christian spiritual life. But as I said, we have a stage six, and that's the ability to receive. And Jesus says, he makes it as clear as day in the gospel. If you just add one verse to where we started today, he makes it plain as day. If you can't somehow rest in your poverty, you're never going to know what it feels like to let the temple be destroyed and yet still say, it's okay that I'm here. To love out of your poverty, well, a lot of times that just means we got to talk or I'm going to sit in the silence or I'm not going to run away. It looks like a thousand different things, but we know it when we're doing it. We can't kid ourselves. And so the little grow question for this week is, how do we say yes to God even in the midst of a divided world? We say yes in that situation where we can say it 
not in spite of, but because of where we feel the most impoverished.